0: Her. I'm James St. James. We are talking to the New York nightlife legends of the 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond. I am with my co-hosts, Fenton Bailey and Randy Barbado. Nice to see you boys. And we have with us today, we are very honored that we have uh, Empress of the Night. She is a party promoter extraordinaire. She is a philanthropist who has raised millions of dollars for HIV AIDS research with her highly successful Love Balls. She is a boutique owner, a fashion icon. She's the subject of a 2015 FIT fashion exhibit featuring a retrospective of her outfits. She is the subject of a 2017 documentary on top. Uh, Suzanne Barsh um, Welcome, uh,
1: Queen of the Night, Suzanne. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Hello there. You, we've been around the block, me, you, and Randy, and Fenton, and you, Jay. <laughs> been there, Dom. We are. Yay. Yeah, I mean, we are old, old, old
0: nightclub icons. Old,
1: we're all now. We're now. That's the <laughs> shit. You're now. I'm now there now. We're now. How about that, guys? This is now. We are
0: now. We are now. We are, now. We are happening.
2: Can I just mention something that you didn't include in your intro, which is my daily crack cocaine, which is Suzanne's <laughs> Instagram page. I live for the footage of Suzanne Barsch walking down the hallway at the Chelsea Hotel with a different outfit on. Who needs Fashion Week? Who needs uh-huh. Paris, Rome, who Milan? Who needs any of that? All you need is to make sure you're following Suzanne Barsh's Instagram, right? D- just.
3: I completely agree. And and on that note, I have to chime in like you're still living in the Chelsea Hotel, which is basically a construction site. Tell us about what's good.
1: Chelsea Hotel. I'm like the last one standing, the Chelsea girl here. Working that hallway until the cows come home. <laughs> I'm yeah, I'm still at the Chelsea. I'm here since nineteen eighty one, seen it all. It's been in uh, a huge Renaissance here from like old, falling down to everything's boxed in and up now. <laughs> but my apartment is still old. I wouldn't let them in to do anything. So I have an old, high ceiling, original apartment, which is fantastic.
0: I've heard that Bailey's bedroom once belonged to Janis Joplin. Is that true?
1: It is. That's right. Yeah. Janis Joplin lived in the middle room. I have four apartments. And the middle one was Janice Choplin, and a nurse used to live next to her, which is now Bailey's bedroom. And the nurse used to complain because Chinese was so loud and had loads of parties. And Chinese <laughs> would go over to the nurse to give her signed albums, signed records. <laughs> and when the nurse, the nurse, had no idea what it was. When the nurse passed away, they found all these signed albums by Janice Choplin. So it's pretty crazy. <laughs>
0: But but what Randy was saying is true. One of my favorite things about going out is the getting ready to go out. And when everybody is like that, that is you leave for the night and the possibility is there that anything can happen tonight. Tonight could be the best night of your life. And that's what we get from your Instagram feed is that, that beautiful possibility that every night brings.
1: Yeah. I mean, I just enjoy doing looks. First of all, it's like, I love putting things together. I like, repeated things and turning them into something completely different. And I love uh, people. So I dress to go out and meet people, bring people together, unite the communities, and give them a place to let their hair down and and forget for their problems for a minute and just have a, a – the dance floor to me is a religion, action. The dancing is so important. It's the one place where people put down that square, you know, that – RuPaul calls it a the square. They put down the phone. Everyone is in the beat. We may move differently, but we're in that moment. It's a religion. It's, a, it's like, a, it's like a, a meditation for me. It's God, if you ask me. And you're on that dance floor with all the people, the teachers playing the music, and everyone is in that moment, in that beat, maybe moving differently, but it's a beautiful, one of the last things, standing, which are without that, People put the phone down. They don't film on the dance
0: floor. At the very beginning of your of the documentary on top, you say, "I am not an actor. I am not a designer. I am not a dancer. What I do is I put looks together, and then I bring people together to to enjoy a, a party. That is what you bring to the world. And I love that about you that you know exactly what your strengths is and what you, what 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 it is that you work on this earth for. Yeah,
1: I mean it's it's kind of all about liking what you're doing i love what i do i think whatever you do whether it's putting looks together acting singing or cleaning uh house cleaning whatever it is if you like what you do that's the ticket that's the key you have to love what you do and it will be successful
3: how did you discover that talent like what was your sort of first um first party that you threw
1: i I mean the, the the look thing was something i was my mother's I used to drive my mother mad. It was like these little outfits she would plan, and I would take them and turn them upside down. Like there was like this, like Sunday look, you're supposed to wear little lacquered, lac- uh, la- leather lacquered shoes with it, little, um, I forget the name, little shoes. And I would put like hiking boots with the Sunday outfit. And it was like, oh, my God, with, with cable knee socks, pulled over my knee, and then hiking boots with something that you're supposed to wear this dainty little little. Lacquer shoes, ballet shoes. So from I remember caring about what I put on me all my life. It was important to me. This doesn't go with that. I don't like it with this. I don't like things to be conventional. I want to make them my own. And then when I when I was like eight years old, I used to say, I'm gonna be leaving here before I'm 16, or by the time I'm 16. I had a great childhood, so it wasn't about the parenting. I just knew. I needed to leave Switzerland. I knew if I stayed there, I would get suffocated. It's, it's a very <clears throat> it's a very straightforward place. There's nothing wrong with it. But it's, it when I was younger, you had to get married, have a bank account and a garden fence, a white garden fence, a husband, children, a bank account. I knew that wasn't gonna be me. And I knew I had to leave to find out who I who I am or what I am and and I left. Close to 16, I went to London, the Swinging London, where everyone was going, and I went right in there to the rock scene. I met all the, like, the Led Zeppelins, uh, the Who's, um, the, uh, Mick Jack, and Mick Jagger, all these rock stars, and I was right there in a club revolution and in speakeasy, this club speakings. It, it was amazing. And so there I learned, you know, like I, I always was expressing myself with, Looks and then there I learned how fabulous it is to be together in a party environment.
0: You've you've talked a little. I remember uh, there was an interview you did with Walt Paper in an Interview Magazine, and you were talking about that when you were fifteen, sixteen, that there was a a party on an island in Lake Geneva once a month that you would go to, and it was so it sounded sort of like a rave or a happening or something like that.
1: It was a rave, of the, a rave of those days, definitely a happening meets a rave. It was once a month and we drove from Bern, which was like a couple of hours, down to Geneva, took a boat onto the island, and we're there all night, came back the next afternoon. We did the all night, after hours and everything over there. It was amazing, yeah.
0: You also talked a little bit about going to Club Seps in Paris. Club. Which was like the, the Studio 54, a mini, mini, mini Studio 54.
1: Way before Studio in the 70s, Club Set, I'm giving away my age, Club Set was (laughs) one of my favorite places in Paris, it was so decadent, like dancing on a table, people like just going crazy, it was long before, it was the 70s, yeah. Uh, It was just, you name it, they had it, from the drag queens to the businessman to the thousand dollar bottle which i'm not into but it was just wild over there
0: like, like, so was, was that sort of like something that did it plant a seed in your mind that this is sort of what i want to do i want i like this crowd i like this decadence i like the drag queens
1: not really no you know what one of the things that was very important in my life all along is that i have to be ch- in charge of my own time I never wanted to be nine to five. I never wanted to I gotta be, of course I have to be somewhere for meetings, but like right now I have to be here for a meeting with you, but I wanna be in charge of my time and that was my key drive in life, other than wanting to bring people together. But when I was clubbing in those it wasn't really about oh I should be doing that. It was just about me being there and being having a great time and everybody like always like enjoyed me my company because I, I was fun and and um, I never thought about the club. It just came out of nowhere. The first time I had a taste of bringing people together and having, um, you know, an event, which is something that was within me, in my head. And I said, I'm going to do this. And I went and did it. This was like New London in New York when I was doing, um, a fashion show called New London in New York. When I had my store on Thompson Street, I was bringing the young designers from London <laughs> over, like uh, Stephen Jones, Andrew Logan, Lee Bowery,
0: Body Map, Rachel Auburn. Exactly.
1: So I, yeah, I, but I was doing this. I was. It became huge. But all the big department stores wanted to go to London and start buying the stuff. If London was kind of down in the fashion and. Um, in the fashion world and when I started this whole movement it was John Duca. do you remember John Duca? he was of Kawaka and Duca. he mm-hmm. labeled it street fashion and he did a story on my store which was a full pe- page in the New York Times before I opened and it really got everyone focused on London so Saks Barneys Bergdorf uh, Browns, I mean, uh, Altimo from Chicago, everyone was going to London. And I'm going, I'm going to go on there. What do I do? I'm going to sign. And I like, What do I do? I got the I'm going to sign them all up. <laughs> so I went to sign up, everybody. I said, I want to do a fashion show in New York. I'm going to show you a collection. I'm going to sell it for you to everyone. And I created this fashion show, which was called New London in New York. And it was at the Roxy over there. Right. 19th.
0: And then you did another one in Lime White, and then you took it to Tokyo, right?
1: Yeah, three in New York and then Tokyo, three days. But the one over there at the Roxy, I didn't know what I was doing. I never did the show before, and it was like we had no budget. Nothing changed, by the way, no budget. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> we, um, I had all these. I had two lines of people round the block twice. The whole world was coming. I had no idea how to see the fashion people. <gasps> Didn't know that Bar- Charavari bad. doesn't talk to Barney's and Barney's doesn't want to be near Bergdorf's. <laughs> I had a shit show, but it, it's actually what made it successful. And the worst part of it is the Roxy is huge, as you know. I took a third of the Roxy, put up this curtain, this decor, so that we have a backstage. Little did I think. Wait, the music blasting out front with the curtain divided, it's going to blast in the back too. So, the music was so loud when we were calling Lee Bowery or Rachel or. or <laughs> the wrong person.
0: And nobody could hear anything.
1: No, but everybody went on stage at the wrong time. It was chaos. <laughs> chaos. And the chaos is all of it made it very successful. Well, it was-
0: that, that's the Suzanne Barsh magic right there. <laughs>
1: Whatever, okay, it used to be chic, you know, Calvin Klein, organized, I was like, this hurricane came in and it, I had $750,000 worth of clothes after that, Charlie. Wow,
2: like how, so, so the business part of it, you were just, did you, like, how did you figure
1: that part of it out? Were you just doing it on the fly? On the fly, but I'm, I am sort of my creativity and my business are both very strong. So I can marry the two. And I knew I needed a clothing rack and a price tag. <laughs> how much do you want for it? I added up a percentage what I get. And we it was, no, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't that hard. That's how I got into the bringing people together. That's the first time I had a huge crowd coming to something that came from within that I created, and I got hooked, I got addicted. That's how it started, if you want to know.
3: And, James, can I just chime in, though? Your store, was that like a gathering place and a magnet? Would people come and hang yeah. out in the store? Yeah. What would? Were- yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, like Andre Walker, his mother yeah. used to call. This, it, she knew he would be at my, every day Andre Walker would come hang out. And he, he was at school and then he didn't go home. And The mother would call, is, is Andre here? She worried about him. Uh, yeah, it was very much a gathering store and also a place. And the buses used to go, tourist buses would go by because it was so colorful, my store, especially the one on West Broadway. So I had like tourists, it was a tourist attraction, actually. It was amazing. We didn't have Instagram, so not that many people really know. You know what I mean? Yep. I would be, a fucking su- I'd be bigger than you all together if you had Instagram in those days. <laughs> Just kidding.
0: Um, well, I want to go back to London a little bit because in London, you are there during the time of the Blitz yeah. uh, uh, with Steve Strange, yeah. Lee Bowery, all those people. Um Tell me a little bit about going to the Blitz and about the clubs that, that were happening then. It's
3: like what? gave rise to it because you know i was i was at school then and it was like all about punk and very kind of grungy and anti-establishment so but suddenly there was this fabulous extravagant new movement and i just love to know what kind of drove that what made that happen
1: i guess you said it anti-establishment the clubs were very boring it was very predictable and doing one night stands in the club which i was doing in switzerland when i was young younger That's what was starting in London. Everyone wanted to do one-night stand. Nobody wanted to be committed to, oh, i got to do this every day now. And the one-night stand movement happened against, in a way, anti-establishment. So we would get a space that wasn't necessarily a club or a bar and turn that into a fabulous night once a month or once a week. Plitz was in the Covent Garden where um, it was actually a Monday of all nights. Monday is never a great night for parties. And when Steve took that, it was just incredible. Like, it was called the movement, it was called Neuromantics. And every week, people had a completely new look. It was never like a different, whole different environment of, of expressing yourselves. And we, we were all dancing with, like, you know, like craft work. We all, they always play craft work. And everybody danced like robot dancing, like the same way, like the moves at the same time without planning. And then, <laughs> it was incredible. That, I, it was just like a a Fellini movie, really. You know. But, uh, to this
3: day, Steve Strange's "Fade to Grey is one of my favorite singles.
1: It's yeah, so good. Yeah. It's he was so charismatic. What a, <laughs> he had a crush on my boyfriend. So I got a very bit murder. I mean, <laughs> he was such a character. What a lovely guy. I loved him. So yeah, the whole new, new romantic thing in the late seventies was after punk, you know, came that. And the one-night stand was about not being committed to anything, you know, total freedom. You could leave every day you wanted. You don't have to go every week. If you don't want to do it, you don't do it every week. And then, of course, Lee Bowery's club was amazing.
0: So you mentioned Lee Bowery. I want to talk about sort of how you met Lee in Trojan and what they, what your relationship was with them, because you probably had a very intimate relationship that not many people... Tell me a little bit just about Lee and what he was like as a friend. Lee
1: was just really funny. He was very sarcastic, hysterical. His jokes were so dry. I loved the apartment he had with Trojan. I mean, him and Trojan were the ultimate magic to me. Trojan, I wish I wish Trojan didn't pass away. He was such a genius. And yeah. hit the two together, which just like, it doesn't get any better. The, everything about them was just magical. And they were just guys. I mean, they weren't difficult, you know, like like you and I. I mean, how was you when I met you? were the same thing. There's nothing to it yeah. that I can – I mean, Lee was outrageous, really outrageous. And the more outrageous he could be, the, the happier he was. But they were really good <laughs> friends and, you know, like out girlfriends, you know. Yeah.
0: Um, when you came to New York, it was 81, and uh, I remember you saying that one of the first places you went to was the Jefferson, uh, Arthur Weinstein's After Hours Club,
1: yeah, on 14th Street, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, and that that was sort of like it, it felt European to you, it, it was the one place in New York that felt fabulous. It's yeah,
1: I came to New York in. 81 for a a Valentine's Day and I ended up staying and I was missing all these constant changes in London and the clubs and the whole everything and the looks and I said to my uh, boyfriend I really miss everything from London And, and he goes why not import what you miss and I'm going why not it was actually his line not mine and then I was yeah I'm gonna import what I miss. And I decided to do the store, and I went to a store and bring the fashions, the looks over here.
0: This the one on Thompson Street, the, fir- the first one, yeah.
3: What was it called?
1: It's Suzanne Barge. I was trying to find the name. I always, how can I, what should I call it? I couldn't think of a name. And then Joe Mabry said, hey, just call it your name. Best, promote yourself, keep your name. <laughs> <laughs> Great idea. And I did the signature, and I used that as my name. And that was the best thing, best advice I've had.
0: One of the but now the, with the stores on Thompson Street are really, really tiny. Was it just one of those little tiny storefront places?
1: Yeah, yeah. Romeo, remember the hair guy, hair salon, Romeo? He was a. Yeah, was Romeo, uh uh-huh. huh, sure. was street from me. And it was this old English paneled windows with the wooden panels. It was like a magical little box. And then, uh-huh. then they took course, they did the decor. We did, he like glue tissue papers, like crumpled tissue. He painted it like a really nice, bright blue a bright baby blue and then we put this tissue paper he it was his technique with glue looked incredible so it was all um made with love handmade (laughs) could everything was good
0: (laughs) i imagine that in 1981 as mtv is breaking in america that all the people that who were that you knew in London were suddenly famous in America. Like all those people you'd been hanging out with suddenly they all had MTV hits. And so you were sort of in the know, you knew them all. And so to, to bring them to New York was sort of an easy thing.
1: I mean, the fashion part that the, the, the people that I brought here were all like more in the fashion world. Um, you know, like leave us at that time wanted to be a designer. So, I, I mean, the, the, I'm not sure what you mean. The music, I didn't really watch MTV by the way. I didn't have time to watch TV. I mean it was music video. Yeah, I would see people that I know from London in music video videos, before but not the people that I brought. Because they kind of weren't really in the music videos. They may have you know, like Sue Klaus was dressing Boy George. She was one of the designers. Right. So I saw her clothes on Boy George, but she herself wouldn't be in it. Is that what you mean?
0: So, sort of yeah no, I, I was I was just thinking like that, that, that whole vibe of London was suddenly in New York at that time that, that yeah. there was the feeling right. of, of right. like going right. back and forth yeah, and yeah, it sort yeah, of probably yeah. enabled you yeah. to to do what you were doing yeah. because everyone wanted that London feel that London everyone
1: feel. and that's how I came up with the idea of doing a show and signing up to the signers because the Thompson dream. Uh, it would, I mean, I would have like Norma Kamali would come there and shop. Donna Karan they'd come and buy jewelry, and you know, probably reproduce something don't, don't there, reproducing it. And because I had also this 40s jewelry, I bought jewelry in the flea market. Well, as long along with Andrew Logan's. Jewelry.
0: Um, then your second store, uh, Peter Peter Gation was a backer, wasn't he?
1: For oh, five minutes. <laughs> so what what happened? Is, <laughs> okay uh for uh where were we so that my store i was um worried because everybody was going to london buying so i signed up with this and so that was my first job taste of bringing people together and at the same time i opened the biggest store on west broadway and the backer was steven greenberg remember him with the white hair greenberg. yeah sure. greenberg with the rolls royce and the white hair <laughs> and um he got caught with insider trading stuff. There was some <laughs> strange things going on, Whoops. and just <laughs> as I was building my store, he decided to dump me. Like he he got rid of everything that wasn't um, business. He didn't really know the fashion business, and he got involved because he liked what I was doing. But he didn't. Everything when that happened, this inside scandal, he got rid of everything. So I was there going, Do I do or do I da- die? I was half built and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do, I'm not gonna die, I'm just gonna go with it. And I kept going, I don't even know how I did it. Then Annie Flanders from Detail, sure, said, Oh, my ex husband has money, maybe he'll invest in you. So I met him and he did, <laughs> he bailed me out from Greenberg, but then that turned into a hashtag me too story. Uh, I don't oh, want to. No. Go- I don't want to talk about, like, he's still alive. Sure. I don't want to go on about it, but it was not ugly. So I quit. I walked, no, wait. Peter Gation came first. First came Peter okay. Gation after Greenberg. But instead of giving me the money, like he said, he would he got me a bank loan. And the bank interest was so big, I was like going broke just looking at the statement. It was not. <laughs> this, this isn't helping me. It's. I thought, he want to give me money and be a backer, a partner. It's so... He waited for me to figure out something else. And then I got Annie Flanders' husband got involved, ex-husband. And that turned into a palaver. And then I quit. One day I was going downstairs and I saw somebody build a disco, a 70s disco in the mid-80s. And I'm going, this is too good to be true.
0: This was Savage, right?
1: Yeah. This guy, Leo, was down there building this club and and he, uh, I said, oh, I'd, I'd like to do a night here. And he said, well, you could have Tuesday night, but I don't have a liquor license. So I said, forget it. Can't do it anything without liquor. So then a year later, I walked out of my store with my Charlie Moore. I lost everything. And this Leo calls me literally the same day. And he says, hey, i got liquor license. Do you want to do a night now? I said, I'm coming down right now. And the reason I was going to do that night at the Savage was because I wanted to promote my store a year earlier. I thought, oh, this would be a great place to have my customers who shop to go and show their finalists that they're buying from me. I give them a membership and other people can come and pay to come in. So it was supposed to be promoting the store and all these looks that I was selling. But of course, you know, uh, I left, uh, you know, he, never, he didn't have a liquor license. But the store was really incredible. I mean, I had like Yasmin, she's a trans She's like, uh, do you remember Yasmin? Yes. I remember
0: Yasmin, yes.
1: Yasmin, she was working for me on Chalo. I had this incredible, beautiful, crazy, insane people working for me. Julio and Gary. Do you remember Julio?
0: I remember Julio.
1: So <laughs> I went down but a year later and I said, I'm doing Tuesday. And I started two weeks later. And I, the first person that showed up at the front door at Savage on Tuesday night at 10.30 at night was Michael Musso head to toe in a look. And I'm going, I made it. This is good. <laughs> and it was just like a thousand people came completely dressed up, like, amazing looks. Uh, well, the,
0: the timing of that was actually ended up being perfect because at that time everyone was going to Nell's and Nell's was so boring and it was, everyone would just sort of go and plop down on a sofa and there was no, nobody dressed up or anything. And, and so it felt like you were coming in as the antidote to Nell's as sort of like, this is, we're bringing fun and fashion back.
1: There was Nell's. There was like the moss and those clubs, you know, mega clubs, which was yeah. funny, but it became monotonous. And then there was the tracks where the guys, you know, dark space, dark guys with the shirts off, dancing, house music. There was that kind of thing. Or there was the nails with the French fry and a European dance floor. <laughs> and <laughs> then I the said, French where fry. is the football, a energy? What are we, I, I need to do something where you can see the people, high energy, disco. And I brought Sister Dimension out who created... Um, what's it name uh, Pyramid Club yeah. and as they come yeah. for me and um, I did it to create somewhere where, where you can show off yourselves and bright lights and craziness I had like I started by myself and then I had, I had to, like I would hire hookers in the meat market working. You know, and I bring them off the common dance around for me and it was fantastic
3: sister dimension deserves a little bit a little paragraph all of her own like tell us describe sister dimension like just talk about alan yeah
1: well alan was larger than life is larger than life he was he created the pyramid together i forget who who else was
3: bobby bradley and um brian brian right
1: right Right. And this was that bar in the East Village, which was just from shows. They had always had shows and it was amazing. And Alan did his own looks. Like one day he come as a cucumber, a pickle. He had a, <laughs> a, a, a clown, you know, like an alien clown or a pickle. He had his insane looks. A, a blue alien. I mean, he real genius, that. That man, a real genius. He's a businessman
3: now. He lived downstairs from us, Suzanne, on 9th Street between B and C. And he lived with Bobby Bradley because they were boyfriends at the time. But he also studied nuclear quantum physics. I mean, he really knew his shit about quantum physics and the theory that the universe is held together by strings, while also wearing these outfits that were just...
1: Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Do you remember the dog? What was his name? poodles? The dog yeah or oodles or something? That dog. Oh my God! That <laughs> the poodle dog. Yeah. <laughs> and then he married Beverly and had two children. I'm still friends. I see them all the time. I'm very close to Alan and, and his kids and Beverly as well.
3: And he's a businessman. Tell. I know, James. We're going off piste but I just like he's a businessman. What does he do?
1: I mean, A suit. He wears pantyhose underneath the pants, so he feels a little less businessy. (laughs) (laughs) He's amazing. He does um, uh, cyber technology stuff, security stuff for banks and big institutions. He's really doing well. Very clever. But sometimes he does a little shaped for me on my Halloween in 2019 at the Boom Boom Room. And he, that's when he came as a pickle, actually. <laughs> he looked so, it was, it was amazing, so. It's amazing how
2: the sort of universe works, just like that you had decided to leave the store and walk out at the same time this oppor- opportunity presented itself to you. And I love that Musta was like the first person in line which basically yes. says you're going to be okay. This is this is your new chapter, and then and then just thinking whether it was Alan, but so many people who you've kind of taken in and mentored, and y- you know, it, it, it's not only that you provided yeah. this space for all these, you know,
1: safe, yeah, a safe space, uh huh. Yeah. But then
2: also these people who've sort of gone to the school of Suzanne Barsh, you know.
1: I mean, it, it, I, I, I celebrate people's, you know, like the girls, the street-walking girls that I would have. They loved it, and I celebrated that. There's nothing wrong with it. And I would have the, the, the art of striptease. Like, when I went to Bentleys, I would have, like, these incredible strippers. Upstairs, I had strippers. Downstairs, I had RuPaul, go-go dance. <laughs> and the dra- downstairs, the first floor was disco and, and, and drag. On go-go boxes and upstairs with house music. And uh, strippers doing, they're like Honeydew. Honeydew had poops like two melons. Her name is Honeydew. She had incredible, Lady Hennessy Brown, a legend. Who was I like- was just going to
0: say, we need to talk about Lady Hennessy.
1: She would pull 69 stockings out of her vagina. Me and Joey Ayers would pull on it and walk and walk and walk. walk, walk. All the way across the dance floor.
0: And she would lactate all over the audience.
1: She was amazing. People would come in coffee cups, umbrellas, to see Lady Hennessy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I took all the queens, the houseboat girls, to Japan. We did a tour for Parko. And we ended up in all the different, like, support at North town up north. There was, like, so much snow. The walls it was, like, five-foot-tall walls of snow. And the club was really small. So I was pulling out with Joey, the stocking, the black stocking <laughs> from Lady Hennessy crotch. And we kept on walking and, walking and walking and walking and walking and walking. We ended up in the town square with the stalking. It was <laughs> in the snow with the, with the Westwood Hills. And the walkers were coming out The walkers would go on top of the snow walls and start walking. I don't even know how everything... Well, all the time, anyway. Did Ru go on that Japan trip? Because I so, Yeah, Ru came to a bunch of... I went many times to Japan. I mean, I went with Ru all over Italy. Um, we went to Japan. We went to uh, Spain, Paris. Paris, we, we did Paris-heavy fashion scene, so It was amazing. And Ru was right there with me all, all the way to Miami. <laughs> did you ever see that real sex thing from um, HBO? Ru's in that. Yes. Funny. The real, yes. I was so successful. They called me up and said, We want to do a movie with you guys. And they wanted to do like, they had like a. I think it was like $800,000. It was a good budget. And it turned out, it ended up, we started filming, but the director was a disaster. I wish I'd work with you in that.
0: <laughs> and it ended up
1: not working out well. Everybody got paid, but it was like really, really successful that episode of Real Sex that we did with in Miami.
3: And the amazing thing about yeah. real sex is they actually shot on film. I mean, an unheard of yeah. thing. Randy and I did a real right. sex and it was puppetry of the penis. Do you remember that? Where the guy ah. would take his penis and contort yes. it into all different shapes. Yeah. So. Oh my God. Now
1: we did lots of We worked. There was a lot more than the penis. <laughs> <laughs> we worked everything. <laughs> yeah. I forget where I'm at. Never have you. Okay.
0: Go back into Savage real quick. I think that one of the, the, Things that sort of set the tone, for me especially, was seeing Kenny Kenny at the door. And Kenny was someone that we had uh, that we didn't know really. You sort of brought him, you discovered him.
1: But Kenny was making jewelry, and I I liked how he looked. I said, "Hey, Kenny, come through the door. Get away from that jewelry. Do my door." And he did, and he was became very very doing the door yeah
0: when you got to the door and you saw kenny there you knew oh this is how we have to dress to get in this is this is what the club is about yeah and it it was a really great thing to see a doorman sort of set the tone for the party
1: yeah Yeah. well i asked him to set that tone baby (laughs) yeah yeah that's what it was all about expressive looks art you know this is art Show me your art. Right. You know, so. And then
0: you went on from uh, Savage, there was Bentley's, which was uh, amazing.
1: You know, then we also had crazy people. Do you remember Walt? The, his name was Walt. He was a writer for Spy Magazine and he was very old Irish guy. The old guy, yes. Someone like that. He wasn't dressed up but yet this like old school suit and then he always had a beer can on his head. He was fancy with the beer can. I mean, We yes. like, would like costumes like that too. We don't all have to be head to toe, you know? so we had right a right, yeah and
0: then of course after bentley's comes copa tell me about a typical night at the copa and how that all started and
1: it was the people on bentley's said to me hey we have this club it's called copa, copa. and i knew about it because andy warhol had a party there and i went to it and then i said oh my god i love that space and He said well my dad owns it Do you want to go look at it and i went to see it and i fell in love it was like two floors, so it was perfect. I could do the Bentley thing, but much more chic and glamorous and upscale. Bentley's was like an after-hours secretary club, and uh, like a dive. It was a real dive. The Culber was so glamorous. And it was a mafia home. I mean, upstairs by the banquets, they had all these like, compartments where you could put money and pass it on to the next boot. They had all these things. <laughs> there was like places to all this, like, put your gun and and things are crazy. So upstairs I was doing house music. And then downstairs I had the disco thing as well. And there I had Sister Dimension again. And Rue was actually the master of ceremony. At that point, Ru was like, she was so incredibly talented, as you know. And she just, like, on the mic and loved having her on the mic. So she always ran the competitions that I had there. And there I really brought in everything. I brought from the hookers to the to the go-go boys to the Brazilian I brought all the Brazilian samba culture to the club. And then the club kids, of course, you know. And um, it was a monthly, once a month, right across the street from the Pierre Hotel. Nobody was going uptown at that time. And that made it so special. It was just, ah, uh, coming out there at six in the morning at that, at the, <laughs> the, what's it called, the Plaza Hotel. <laughs> in the park, it was just. Jackie Kennedy move over. So we felt really there, <laughs> <laughs> you know, to, the, to that location. And that went on for quite... I opened up with the village people. The first night I did there, I had the village people.
0: I remember that,
1: yes. Disco acts. I had the Weather Girls. What are the three... I forget who I'm... Temptations. I had all these acts there. Every month I had something, yeah. So, And then... Point, the way, I have to put this... Part of the payback to Peter Gation, he wanted me to do events over at the limelight. So I went there to work a couple of weeks hated it. Like to help him. And and I said, I can't do this. I said, Peter, I got a great idea. There's this is kid. Why don't you do that? I introduced him to Michael Alex. Oh, really? Oh, I got the perfect person for because I'm trying to get out of there to do something. <laughs> Michael Alex perfect. I said, you guys are me. And then that's how that started. I brought Michael. I never knew that.
3: What did you hate about Limelight, uh, Suzanne? What did you hate about it? What was it? What, why didn't it fit your
0: vibe?
1: No, Working in the office. He wanted me to be in the office helping. Like I did a Vivian Westwood show for them because I owed him because he gave me money for my store. This was after, but when I left the store in between, he wanted me to pay back. You know, I, I didn't. So he said, come and work for me, help me create some events. And I'm like. Okay, and then he's still a friend, actually. I still talk to Peter. He was a really good friend to me.
0: I remember that Vivian Westwood show, though. That was really spectacular. That was when she had those little hoop mini skirts with the polka dots all over it. I loved those, yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I did that show because I had to do something for him, events. He wanted me to do events at Limelight, and I wasn't into it. Not so much because it was not good or whatever. I just didn't want a regular... I wanted to get. So I said, "Michael, is your man," and I introduced him. And then that started the party monsters on Wednesday. So,
0: <laughs> so example. you are responsible for the club kids.
2: <laughs> your fault, Suzanne.
0: <laughs> Around this time. Uh, you were getting angrier and angrier about the government and HIV AIDS. And, and the fact that, you know, your are the whole community, the gay community was being, you know, just decimated by the, this you know epidemic.
1: I'm not gay, but it's our fault. It's the gays, the gays. It's therefore, I mean, it's just it's disgusting. Yeah. And I didn't know what to do. I was helpless, depressed. I lost so many friends. Half of my best books crossed out. That was in 88 or 87. And I'm going, what do I do? And then uh, raise money, give the proceeds of the Copacabana from the door, give the door proceeds to an organization, not good enough. I said, I have to do more. I have to celebrate life. Because there's a lot of people that are alive with AIDS, that are fighting AIDS. They need to know that we're there for them and celebrate us and everything we're alive. And so it wasn't just about the money. I wanted to have like celebrate the people. That's, that's where the ball, co- I've been going to balls for years, the house balls, the Harlem balls, and the, the whole, um, the, the community was very heavily stricken by the Aids crisis. mm mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Community, celebrate that community. And one day, when I was on a ball, I never forget, it was a Sunday, and I came home, and I was really upset, just depressed. What do I do? What can I do? And then I just a flat light bulb went off in my head, a house ball. A house ball is what I have to do, but how do I make money with that? These queens on that money, how do I bring and then it, within like forty five minutes, literally at the whole I saw the whole thing. I wanna to go to department stores, I'm gonna tell them they a house for the night, they pay on the to be on stage so we can make money for, for them being on stage and we sell tables for ten thousand dollars to Carmen Klein and so. On. I called Simon Dunan the next morning and he never heard of the house boarding, it's like bluff, the whole idea. The day later, he called me and said, we're in. And I called Annie Flanders. So the two people I called was Simon Dunan and Annie Flanders because Annie Flanders was detail magazines. And I said, Annie, we're doing AIDS benefit. The fashion community hasn't done a thing about it. It's time we get up and do something. And I want to celebrate life. I need money. What can you do? Can you make a program? Because she's printing magazines. you can print a bloody program and we'll sell ads. I said, can you help sell ads? It's in. And then the first person that joined, was Michel Roux, who at that time was making Absolute Vodka really cool. Like he would have his hair and make a bottle of... Artists paint the bottle. Uh-huh. So the bottle of Absolute mm-hmm. was art yep. statements by famous artists. And he came in and gave right there and then he gave $50,000. That's great. Underwriting thing. So it was a huge immediate like, oh my God, this was like, it's going to be huge. And it was.
0: And you had all the different uh, houses there. You had Omni and Magnifique yeah, and Extravaganza um, and, yeah. and Adonis and everybody. And they all came out in outfits designed by the designers. And it was I, I rem- it was absolutely spectacular. And Lee Bowery was the MC at the first one, was
1: he? The second one. The second one.
0: The second one. Yeah. Oh, the, the first one was in, what, 88? 89.
1: 89,
0: and the second one was 91.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: The crowd that came was spectacular. I mean, that was when Madonna first saw Voguing, right? I mean,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: You had everybody there. You had Keith Haring and Madonna and um, uh, Susan Sarandon, Gautier, Mugler, everybody.
1: Well, I, you know, the, the houseball format lent itself to a magical thing like the charges, the, the charges, we had the same thing. We had trophies and we had the trophies decorated by well-known artists. So like he's He made a trophy. I, I'd love to. Oh, and he, Kenny
0: Sharp made one. Yeah. I remember that. Yes.
1: Yeah, we had these fabulous trophies. And then the panel of charges was all celebs, Cindy Crawford, jean Paul Gaultier, uh, Iman, all these big people, uh, celebs. Andre people, Leon Talley. Andre Leon Talley, They were all the charges, Were all like notable people. And so that, that, that all the ingredients, which were House Bowl, was my idea. I took their format and made it so that we could make money. It's very there's a let people pay, you know. So, and then at the same time, it's important to have the House bowl community be part of it. And, I mean, I never forget, we opened. I opened with um, Willie Ninja, and uh, at the extravaganzas were opening the ball, and people were crazy. They, they've never seen anything like it. Because you know? a lot of people didn't know about the houseboat community, so
0: because you 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 had you basically had you had uptown you had downtown you had fashion you had hollywood you had the harlem mm-hmm. ballroom scene everybody was converging in yeah. one space which was pretty unheard of yeah. and to see i the, the news footage of you know Bernadette Peters running into Manfred Terry Mugler i mean like these people who would never meet otherwise and they all got to sort of experience yeah. what it was that was happening up in harlem and that yeah. was really spectacular yeah.
1: It, really, it was special. And we raised a lot of money. I mean, that's the, the point yeah. is to raise a lot of money. And all the money we raised was, uh, it went. I actually, I said, I want to work like a motherfucker. It was so much work. I didn't take a dime. Nobody got paid. I even got the union to work on the non-union rules. And it was huge. I said, I'm not just going to give the money to anybody. I want to know where that money goes. So I went together, I had, a commun- uh, I had a committee, and we went to look at all the programs that we were thinking to give money to. I, I had DIFA as the middleman. Remember for the Aids Organization? And we went to see, I went to see the needle program. We gave money. We bought, instead of giving money to God's love, we delivered, we bought them a van. They needed more meal transport. So we actually bought them a van. So it was really, really, really hands-on. The whole thing, and everybody—not anybody—took a diamond. Everyone gave so much. The magic of this love balls, all of them, was the giving, the love, the people, yeah, yeah. together and fighting for something that's right. You know, so it was pretty, probably the most powerful thing I ever did. Honestly, all of them are incredible. Even the one at the Playboy Mansion is amazing. I remember that
2: one. Yeah, yeah. was the was the
1: first one at. Roseland is that where it was? Yeah, yeah, I did two at Roseland.
2: Because we went as like we went with cameras, we went as
1: press. Right, you were empty. What was with that girl? She was great. The girl was emceeing for
2: Laurie Pike. Yeah, we went. We we did something for Channel Four for Channel Four UK, but just great Laurie Pike. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> then the second one. The second one was a 91, at Rose. and then I did the Ballade de l'Amour in 92. Mm-hmm. Or was it the end of 91? That was in Paris at the Folie Bergère. That was another incredible, crazy, amazing event. I mean, French never did anything, and they all got together. And we raised $750,000 over there in that one night. You know, I had like this – the Ballade de l'Amour was not uh, – a, a charges or anything. It was like walk for love, means for love and more And I had to simplify over there. And I had like people come out and do whatever they wanted. Like Courtier came out with Mugler, cause you know, they're competitors. So they exchanged jackets. Oh no. Courtier <laughs> took his jacket on this, which I was fabulous. Um, Ossetina Laya was carrying Sean Paul Good on his back.
0: <laughs>
1: well, everything was, uh, Mario Testino came, is like a, in drag. Mario Testino was in drag with five supermodels, just trotting around. <laughs> Very impulsive, not so, cho- not that the last ball was choreographed, but people were planning and this was much more like coming to whatever. You have three minutes on stage.
0: I want to skip way, way, way ahead. And I want to talk about your um, uh, FIT exhibit.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Because the idea of a, a retrospective of every outfit that you've had, I imagine it's quite an undertaking to catalog and to, how do you still have everything and how do you still have it all organized? Just, the idea behind it is, is just a lot of work.
1: This is again one of those things. I think when I look at my life, none of it is ever planned. But that's probably why I'm not in the show with you guys, you two. I just go with the flow. It's an energy thing. I'm very organic. I don't sit there and go, I should have an exhibition I should do this. (laughs) I was at dinner with um, with Mac Cosmetics. Mac Cosmetics Cosmetics were having a dinner um, at Odeon. And James um, Gage sat me with uh, Valerie Steele.
0: I love Valerie. She's spectacular.
1: She really is. And I was, um, I was wearing these amazing lashes, and that night was like one of those nights. James said to me, "I want to make those lashes." Where do you get? I said, "They're mine." So I ended up doing a lash line with Mac Cosmetic from that night. As I was sitting with. Valerie, we're talking about exhibitions. I go, you know, why hasn't done anybody done an exhibition with club looks? Like, you know, clothes that people actually lived in and were, wore. And it, you could have like a story about each outfit. She goes, well, that's a great idea. And I go, yeah, we should. Why don't we do a, an exhibition with my, I have all these looks. And she says, oh my God, that's, I'm coming over. she came over two days later and everything. and I showed her stuff. And she said, oh my, let's do this in two years down. And then a month later, she called, we have a cancellation. Would you like to do it next year? And I said, I'm yours. So I went under the Chinese bed into the storage, on top of the kitchen cupboards. I have things everywhere.
0: <laughs> do you have just a, an apartment full of, I mean, is it wall-to-wall clothes of everything from the 70s on?
1: I have four bathrooms, and two of them are closets, for example. (laughs) (laughs) The bathtubs are full of showers. I took the toilets out and made those closets. Then I have this huge Chinese bed where there's tons of storage below. I have a storage in Brooklyn. I have a big storage, actually. So a lot of stuff is in storage.
0: Is everything labeled that says this was March 23rd, 1987, and the look is by Mr. Pearl, and and these were the accessories I wore?
1: No, nothing was labeled. I still wore everything. I was wearing things I was, I was wearing things on the way to FIT to take it off and put it on a mannequin basically. <laughs> I was not that at all. So I just said we had the we had the shop period, the Thomson Street peered, the big store period, and then he club. It was in sections, you know. And this wasn't mm. you know, that wasn't not not all of my stuff at all. We had 128 looks in the exhibition.
3: Because I know you say you just go with the flow, but I think it, it strikes me that these things, whether it's the Love Ball or the exhibition, they are enormous amounts of logistical work. And it's like, so for someone who just goes with the flow, but you're also organising an army and you're like a general.
1: Once the, once the stream hits the fountain, then I have to act. Okay, I can have an exhibition now I have to do the work, of course. That part, yes, it's a lot of work. But I have helped. The FIT did it a lot. And funny enough, from that exhibition, I was on top and I was prepping the exhibition, and these two kids came and they were playing a video for this girl. Stella St. Clair, she had a little video that these two boys made. And she said, oh, can we play the, your club? I said, of course. They played the video, and it felt really modern and sort of a modern warhol thing, and it was a quick thing. And I said, I really like this video. This is great. And they said, oh, here's our card. If ever you need any filming, call us. We have equipment. We have all this stuff. I said, great. Thank you very much. I went home. The next morning, a friend of mine, the old boyfriend, says Suzanne, calls me up from LA. I said, Suzanne, I hope you documenting this i hope you're filming something this is something that doesn't happen every day and i'm going it's august the exhibition is in september i didn't have a single photo i said you know what i gotta do something so guess what i pulled out the card from the night before it's another one of those things i called these two queens said, hey would you like to meet me i don't have a big budget here we go again no budget but i need to do something like a little piece about this exhibition that i'm doing would you meet me? They said, well, we could come this afternoon. They came that afternoon. They walked into the place, FIT, their jaws dropped. They were talking. They left. They called me back three hours later. Can we do a documentary with you? And I said, yes. And that's how that happened. See? And then, of course, I had to do <laughs> it. It was definitely like, this is how it goes with me. So.
0: It all feels just like kismet, doesn't it? It's just car- It's like that's the way it, the universe works. That's how it's supposed to happen.
1: But also, it's
2: amazing how epic all of these things, because that, that exhibit was epic. And so these things that have happened in your life that just sort of happen magically, but then you t- turn them out. I mean,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: It's also a little bit of working with amazing people. You know, I mean, so many of your outfits are Zaldi and Mr. Pearl and yeah. Gautier yeah. and Galliano and these yeah. geniuses that you've surrounded yeah. yourself with who lend to the fantasy and the, the brilliance yeah. that yeah. all sort of comes together when you organize it properly.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: Of the, all the looks that were in the exhibit, do you have any favorites? Do you have anything that really stand out?
1: I love the Mr. Pearl stuff. It's just a craftsmanship and how you feel in it. It's just amazing. And Mr. Pearl, may I say, just to give you another little moment, I was the first person ordered and had Mr. Pearl make a corset, just so you know. First.
0: Well, Mr. Pearl, I you know, is one of those great characters that just I mean, there needs to be a documentary about Mr. Pearl. Yeah. There needs to be some there needs to be a biopic or something. Because yeah. really one of the most mysterious and fascinating Characters to ever come out of fashion and still yeah. is yeah. just is is the height of just excellence when it comes to. I remember him saying for Lee Bowery that he would spend six months beating one outfit, you know, just every day, nine, 12 hours a day, beating, beating, beating.
1: We called him the Stitch Bitch. <laughs> it was like Stitch <laughs> Bitch. What about my, oh, Madame Ekaterina, the guy, the ballet? genius, who created Trocadero Ballet, unfortunately yes. that would be a movie Madame Ekaterina Sobetskaya. she created Trocadero Ballet and Mr. Pearl and her, she used to have a stitch for him, it was a sight if ever I saw one when,
0: when we talk about just sort of everything that you've done and everywhere that you've been and all the parties that you've thrown, and I think about like the, the clubs that you've been to when we were talking about the Blitz earlier and Sept and, and you know, Taboo and Kinky Girlinky, of course. Do you have other parties that that, you, uh, that, that stand out to your mind? Is there is what, what were your favorite clubs of all time?
1: I don't really have favorite clubs. I did love Taboo. Blitz and Taboo. You did
0: love Taboo. Yeah, yeah.
1: Blitz, really, um, in, in London. I don't really know. I can't think of a particular club. I mean, I like Dante the was great. I can't even remember half of the names. To be honest, I just had a great time. <laughs> it's
0: just a blur. It, it is.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, one thing I really loved about the club life was club life and my work was working with Matthew and Solding. Do you remember this invite yeah. that used to turn up? Here, let me show you something. I'm going to turn, I don't know if this is going to work. This is my Matthew, was such a genius. Do you remember him?
2: Oh my god, um, yes, yes, of course.
1: Wait, can I like unplug? Oh, of course, you know Matthew from the drag race. Right? Can you see this? Yeah. Can you see all these invites yeah. there on the wall? Oh, That's- yeah. That was oh, which way do you go? That was a wall here. All the wigs here. Are the customers here's the here's your uh, audience. The wigs. I don't know if you can see. I don't know what I'm showing you here. Anyway, um, that wall was <laughs> that wall was at the FIT. That was one of the th- t- displays. This wall full of imitation because I wanted. Oh, sure. I wanted the hallway to be like a club entrance for the FIT. I thought it'd be really good for that exhibition to feel like you're coming in an alleyway, you had garbage cans there and I had like mannequins lining up in locks by New York club kids that were waiting to go into the club, which was the exhibition. Mm-hmm. So the whole hallway was incredible graffiti, like amazing. So I have that graffiti. And this was one of the walls of the invites that Matthew created and sold with me together.
0: I, those those invitations were just spectacular, and the looks that you guys turned out yeah, just consistently yeah. every single month for Copa. Yeah, I so- wonder though, do you have? Do you remember any fashion emergencies where where the outfit fell apart, or the wig came off, or the lashes just, where it came off? What do you do when when you have a fashion emergency in the middle of a club?
1: I go with the flow. It's like, okay, the wig's gone. Cool. Yeah. I always make sure I look good under the wig. I haven't really, like, I think the biggest fashion emergency is me falling off the stage, quite frankly. <laughs> and nothing <also laughs> never fell off, fall off the stage and everything was in order. So I'm like, okay, I'm put together. Um, I haven't really, like, me... I think I missed the pearl exploded on me, Mont, but it it, it just uh, <laughs> do it. by that time it's too late. I, I don't really worry about those things. Okay, the thing fell off. Do I look good? Yeah, I look fine. Keep going.
0: Just keep going. The keep the party going. Keep the you can't cry over a, a ripped a ripped fish. Neck.
1: I'll try and put it back on. I got two of those. Look, this is a shiny <laughs> one. I didn't know it. <laughs> They're cool, right? I love, I love it. it. I love so
0: where it. are you off to tonight? Well, you look fantastic. Where are you going?
1: Well, tonight I have my uh, summer party on top with the standard. It's on the, on the band and it's every shift. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's funny, but they were saying like last year I lost everything. I lost everything. I had so much work in LA booked for 220 and it all went and it's not work that's going to come back because one of them was like a massive wedding. One was the Hammer Museum. And they don't have the bar. but it's not like oh it's gonna come back. So I was like, nothing, it's like it was a nightmare. So then I was like, what's gonna happen? And it's just gone crazy. The bar tripled, my Tuesday bar tripled in sales every week. Thousands of people, a thousand people come every Tuesday to this party. It's crazy, beautiful people, young, hip, cool. It's it, like it's just exploded. So when I was wearing a- it, Getting back in a way, you know, new feeling. Oh, my God, the the, party is like, it's so successful. Everything is going really well. So tonight I have on top, and it's more like a fashion-y dance party with the roof. And then on Fridays I have my cabaret, my New York York show, which is extremely successful. I just got a backer. I just signed up to bring it to the next level. It's exciting. Things are really going well here. I have amazing things.
0: That's so good to hear. So many people have have, have really struggled over the past year and I'm glad to see that nightlife is coming back in New York. And people are
1: supporting, you know, we're nothing without the people. We need to be you now. And that's like, what's the beauty? They're really, really there. And, people wanna celebrate. To
2: kind of bring it back with where the conversation started, I think it's that thing, it's so important now for people to put this thing down. People need, Uh they need that to be able to get on that dance floor, they need you, they need you.
0: Yes, to just live in the moment and just enjoy the music and the party yeah. and the fashion and the beauty of of just the, the energy of the religion of, of night.
1: Yeah, and that's also, you know, it's kind of very important to have life now because so much is fake on here. You know, what's real? I could be an 18-year-old boy on here. What well, is really real. And the fact is that nightlife and the club thing seem to me more important. Life events more important than ever because we see each other, we feel each other, we have contact. I see your eyes, I see who you really are, and we share these moments together—real moments—and that's more important than ever with this social media and this the way the world's exploding mm. and going. It's like crazy. So true. Yeah,
3: Suzanne, you're a legend. You know, so many people burn out or leave or just, you know, self-destruct and you have just kept going, going, going like the energizer bunny.
1: It's four (laughs) letters. Love is what keeps me going. People love what I do. I love the people. It's really all it is. Mm. And it's so great to be together with you because you you know each other, like I said, from Barrett's dream. It's a real honor, and thank you so much for supporting on top. I know that helped a lot that you guys got involved, World of Wonders. So I really appreciate it. Yeah. Is it still on your platform? Yes.
0: Uh, yeah? It is. In fact, I watched it this weekend. I, yeah. I went back and, and rewatched really? it. Uh-huh. Um, Suzanne, thank you so much. It's been so wonderful to reconnect with you and to see you again. You look fantastic. I'm glad everything is going wonderful for you.
1: Yeah, let's have dinner yes. when coming to LA okay. or when you come into New York, please, okay? That would yeah, be lovely. Let's and yeah.
2: plan something. <laughs>
0: yes, yes. I love you.
2: <laughs>